Here's what's coming up on today's show. What we don't want to do is make short-term decisions, kind of knee-jerk reactions based on, you know, the headline du jour on long-term money. When I say long-term money, I'm really talking about your retirement savings. There are many factors that contribute to success, skill, good work habits, positive mental attitude, and of course, proper planning. So let's head to the drafting table and get this retirement success blueprint underway with Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. I'm your co-host, Mark Killian. Let's get started. Welcome into this edition of the Retirement Success Blueprint with Michael Stewart, founder at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial, and myself here to talk about some bad money habits on the podcast that could spoil your retirement party. And we don't want that. We all want to have a good retirement party. So we want to make sure that we're doing the right things along the way. It's easy for us humans to get bad habits, and certainly we all have them. But when it comes to our finances, we want to make sure we're trying to eliminate these where we can to hopefully, again, help ourselves get ready to get to and through retirement. Mike, what's going on, my friend? How are you this week? Well, I'm doing excellent. Summer has finally sprung, so I am uh, enjoying it, spending some time with the family and you know, just enjoying this time of year. There you go. So yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where we were just chatting about it. The weather's been super crazy all around, super hot early on uh, for you guys and then chilly again. And I don't know, it's just been one of these weird years, I guess, but uh, it is what it is. I mean, the market's weird, finances, weird, everything's weird, right? We're just going to chalk it up to 22 and 23 just being weird. Yep, I think it's been the last four years. Right? Well, that's true. That's probably fair. Uh, so let's go over some bad money habits. And if, if you've got any stories to share or some ideas along the way, Mike, I'm sure you do. You've been doing this a long time. Just let us know kind of what you think on some of these. I got a list of them, uh, and we'll try to get through as many of them as we can here. So let's jump in and get started. And uh, actually, speaking of 22 and then 23, uh, the first one is being addicted to a rising stock market. And if you were addicted to that, and that's a bad money habit, and it was easy to do for the 12-year-ish bull run we were on, uh, you maybe learned this lesson the hard way when 22 was down anywhere from, what, 20 to 35%, depending on how you were um, weighted. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think even, you know, as I alluded to in our kind of talk about the weather and craziness and times mm-hmm. is that if you just take a look at the last four years, right? So you've had this year markets are, you know, while we're recording this, are up double digits year to date, and they were down 20, 30 percent ending last year and the year before that they were up to high high 20 percent the year before that was covid where they were down as much as 35 percent but then eked out a gain towards the end of the year so it's been kind of a sideways market for the last few years and a lot of people forgot because we've had such quick recoveries the last few years you know these whether it's because of five trillion dollars of stimulus or otherwise they've kind of forgotten going back those 12 years you alluded to that the markets go up and down So what happens is we've all just been trained when interest rates were at zero that the market only goes up or the Fed's going to come in and bail us out. And the reality is, if you look at the $31 trillion of national debt that we have, you take a look at where how are we going to pay for this over time, which means taxes have to go up. You got an aggressive Fed that is, you know, basically not only trying to fight inflation, but also trying to fight all the excesses in the stock market, in real estate, in bonds, all these things. So what's happening is you need to be very careful as you move forward, because if you're still just addicted to the stock market thing, it's only going to go up or the government's going to save you. The problem is if you're within five or 10 years of retirement or you're in retirement, Go back to what happened the last few times mm-hmm. when we had 50% haircuts, you know, the, the first decade of, of the money here, right. where if you're getting close to retirement and you lose 30, 40, 50% over the course of a couple of years, which isn't unlikely, happens all the time. 
then the issue with that is, is it going to take you three, five, seven years just to get back to where you are today? And can you afford that? Do you still have the time to do that at this stage of your life? Mm, that's some great points right there for sure. And and it's easy to do again, right? Which doesn't necessarily make us a, a bad person or anything. It's just simply that it, it, we, we kind of try to eke out a little bit more and you've got to be careful and not get too addicted to that rising stock market feel. All right, that's the first bad money habit. Let's go to procrastination, which maybe was the reason why you didn't <laughs> readjust your your <laughs> allocation, right, from the uh, prior conversation. So procrastination on financial decisions that you know need to be made, Mike, but you just keep putting it off for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I think and this really applies to all tough decisions, but especially the financial ones for you and your family, is that is, you know, I love the quote, slay dragons while they're young, right, because they don't get any smaller. And so if you've got some tough financial decisions that need to be made, like, should I save more to get to whatever my end goal is, you know, for retirement income? Should I take more risk, take less risk? Should I manage this in a more tax efficient manner? Should I take a look at my estate planning? Should I take a look at my healthcare planning, my tax planning, all those kind of things? Pushing those down the road. You're not like the government where you can just print money and keep kicking the can down the road. You need to make some tough decisions. And the sooner that you can do those, the easier it is. And the reason a lot of people don't make those decisions, why they kick that can down the road or kind of be like the ostrich and stick their head in the sand is because they suffer more in anticipation of bad things than in reality. And it happens to us all the time. How much do we sweat about something to find out that really what we were worried about wasn't as big of a worry, Yeah, but we had to make a decision in order to make sure that the worst outcome didn't happen. So specifically to your financial matters, what you actually just have to do is say, hey, you know, I might need a plan. If I have a roadmap, a path in which I can move forward on, at least you know why you're making the decisions that you're doing rather than ignoring the decisions altogether. Yeah, I mean, many times, Michael, you know, when people come in to see a financial advisor for the first time, that is the case, right? They've been procrastinating because they're just afraid they're going to be told that you did a terrible job saving for retirement and you can never retire, right? That's usually the the big panic. And often people are super surprised. Like that's the extreme they feel like in their mind or whatever. And then they come in, they sit down, they go through the process and they're pleasantly surprised more times than not that they're in much better shape than they ever realized. So that's where it bites you. Yeah. No, exactly. It happens all the time where individuals come in our office. This is whether they don't have their estate planning done. So they kind of feel guilty about it because they're 55, 60 years old and they haven't done their estate planning yet. At the end of the day, I say, well, okay, great. Should you have? Probably. But guess what? You're still here. So it's not too late. Let's do it. Or on the income side, clients have been good savers. They come in, they say, I just don't know how all this works. I'm probably going to have to work until I'm 70 or later. You know, I don't know if I can retire. And then we show them how to actually get income from their investments, how to do it in a tax efficient way and coordinate that with their pensions and their social securities. And now all of a sudden there's this, this aha moment, this kind of exhale moment where they say, wait, this is really doable. And it's doable a lot sooner than I thought it was ever going to be because no one has ever shown them that. Yeah. And what a good feeling that is, right, to find that out. So, uh, all right, let's keep moving along here with some bad money habits. That was our second one, procrastination. Uh, let's go with the, uh, well, it's still the ostrichy thing, which is pretending that long-term care event, I guess I'll just round it down to that, is something that other people will be affected by but not ourselves, right? Very easy to do. Well, my family, this, that, or the other. Uh, I'll never end up in a nursing home or whatever your justification is. Yeah, so I haven't been a financial planner for the last 23 years. I would say if you go back about 15, first 15 years of, of, you know, so basically say, you know, 2000, almost 2015, 
it really wasn't, although we had individuals would purchase long-term care policies and they were by far a lot more reasonably priced back then, but we would go through and they would say, okay, I'm just trying to protect my legacy, you know, for the kids, the grandkids, those kind of things, but it's probably not going to happen to me. But I got to tell you, in the last probably eight years or so, that has flipped on its head in the sense that now, because a lot of people are living a lot longer, you're their parents, their grandparents and themselves, now all of a sudden they're starting to see what the impact emotionally, socially, financially, you know, and even the impact on the, on the supporting family system that they have. Uh, now people, because they're living longer, they're dementia. It's Alzheimer's. They need home-based health care. They need to go into an assisted living facility. They need a full care. And now they're seeing the financial repercussions of that as well. In Illinois, home-based health care, to have a skilled nursing care person there is going to cost you somewhere $50,000, $60,000 a year. Now, that's not egregious, depending on the resources that you have, but how would you pay for it, especially if you have a spouse that that life needs to continue on normally, you know, as far as expenses go. In Illinois, between ninety dollars and $110,000 is the average cost for assisted living facility in a nursing home. Okay, how would you pay for it on that? Especially once again, if there's another spouse out there. So I would say, you know, in a little bit less than the past decade, because they're seeing it through their aunts, their uncles, their brothers, their sisters, their their parents, their grandparents, a lot of our clients now, that's a big part of our agenda. Like, so when we put our retirement success blueprint together, you know, it's got five components in it. Of course, it's got retirement income. Where's your income coming in? So you never run out of income. Second, it's got risk analysis. You know, how much risk do we take? So we don't take more than we need to. So we don't have those huge dips along the way. We got a tax plan. We got a state plan. But just as importantly as a healthcare plan, if we needed a long-term care, how would we pay for it? That doesn't mean you have to go out and buy a long-term care policy. It just means you need to understand the math because the math says if you're a married couple at 65, the studies show that there's over a 70% chance that at least one of you, if not both of you, are going to need some sort of long-term care going forward. So we always just start out when we're putting a plan together is, okay, if that were to happen for one of you or both of you, how would we pay for it? Mm, yeah, that's a great point. Well, so if we're talking about these different, you know, bad money habits, and that one obviously is just kind of kind of like the procrastination. It's kind of just a pretending, or I'm, I'm going to ignore it, kind of put my fingers in my ears and say no, it's not going to happen to me. Then when we go to our next one, bad habit is uh, still emotionally based, but maybe this one's based on how you put your money and where you put it, right, Mike? So, um, you know, instead of going strategically after something, you're going emotionally. Whether it's I really love this company. I want to invest, you know, more than I probably should in a particular stock or whatever the case might be, but just basically doing it off of emotion, not off of the math. Yeah. And, and a big part of this, and a quote I share with clients a lot of time is let's not make short term decisions with long term money. So, you know, we kind of break it into two different buckets, independent of we're managing it or they're managing it. Part of it is, is this a trade or is this an investment? If it's a trade, meaning like, hey, you know, look what's going on in the market. I'm going to put a tight stop loss on this or write options around it or do something like that, something more creative, where this is short-term decisions, right? We're just trying to go with a theme, go with a trend, or we're trying to take advantage of, you know, either sell-off or, you know, think of a potential pullback, something like that. Well, that's okay. Those are short-term decisions for short-term money. What we don't want to do is make short-term decisions, kind of knee-jerk reactions based on, you know, the headline du jour on long-term money. When I say long-term money, I'm really talking about your retirement savings. So if you're 55, 60, 65 years old, a lot of people want to hunker down, right? I'm, I'm getting close to retirement. I need to take all the risk off the table because I can't afford a loss. And in some aspect, I will agree with that, that maybe you might be already be taking too much risk. So you need to dial that back a little bit. 
But there's also the reality that this money has to last you another 25, 30 plus years. So independent of whether you want to leave a legacy or not, you personally are likely, statistics will show, will need this money to 90 if not later to, so you don't run out of money. So what I want you to do is not be emotional. So you know, I say it all the time on the podcast here is half the time I'm a financial planner. The other half the time I'm a behavioral counselor because I've got to make sure I bring you down when you're getting too high to when the markets are getting really frothy, like kind of the rally we've had here for no reason as we're heading into a recession second half of the year. So I've got to kind of talk you down a little bit. Once again, let's enjoy those gains, but might want to peel back some risk and take advantage that we got them. But I also got to be there for you. And probably more importantly, when things start falling apart a little bit, as long as we've got you properly positioned, then all of a sudden, you know, COVID hits and the market drops 35% in three weeks. Or last year, the markets are down 20%. Well, if our clients during those same time periods are down 8 to 12%, no, nobody likes a loss. But we're down because of risk management substantially less than what the markets are. So the headlines don't apply to your portfolio. But even clients then are still getting a little nervous in their seat saying, I got to do something. I got to do something. Yeah. Sometimes the best thing to do if you're properly allocated going in is to do nothing. Well, that's a great point. And speaking of that, that's the next one on my list for bad money habits is inadequately diversifying your portfolio. So maybe some of that emotion uh, is led to how you're, you know, how and where you're putting your money, as we were just talking about, and you aren't truly diversified, or you just kind of go through some of these things you think that you know, like the the age old case of somebody coming in, Mike, with ten different mutual funds, thinking they're diversified, and they have basically the same companies and everything because it's all large cap or whatever. No, exactly. And I'll kind of give you two different things on that. One, building on your point there is, you know, it's not unusual. We just had a meeting last week with a couple, 64, got about $2 million. And, you know, they're like, hey, I think we're pretty well diversified. Yeah, we took a big hit last year. By a big hit, they were down about 24% in 2022. You know, more in the S&P, but less than the NASDAQ, but still substantially more for somebody in their 60s. And they said, we really don't understand. We have 38 different holdings here. So we ran, you know, what you call an overlap or a comparison report. And it basically shows you what's inside all those different ETFs and mutual funds. And when I pulled up just the first five sheets of what's a 50-page kind of analysis, I just pull up the first few and I say, do you realize, you know, I think about 90% of the fund holdings were pretty comparable because, yeah, they were in, you know, and in, in not diminishing any specific companies, but yeah, they were in the Vanguard S&P 500 fund and the Fidelity S&P 500 and the State Street S&P 500. Guess what? They all own They're the, all same the same stuff. Thing. Yeah. That's not diversification. That's right. just paying three different people to do the same one job. So, you know, and, and then you see that a lot in all other kinds of funds and that as well. But going back to the inadequately diversifying the portfolio, part of that also is people take too much risk because they all, going back to one of our earlier about being addicted to the stock market as well, is they take more risk than they need to because they don't understand what they're actually trying to achieve. You know, and that's why we love putting plans together for clients, because if we can show you that you can already accomplish, you've saved enough, you're doing the right things, just don't screw it up. You've won the game, stop playing the game. Then you don't need 20, 30% returns. You just need to avoid 20, 30% losses to have the lifestyle and the dreams and the retirement that you want. So why would you keep playing the game? You know, and then that's huge when you really think about it. And there's another quote out there. It's like, you know, you can get rich by not diversifying. You just can't stay rich, right? <laughs> and then, and if you take that to heart, then, you know, once again, you know, we don't have a lot of 20 and 30 year old clients running around our office. All of our clients are within five years of retirement or they're already retired. This is their nest egg. This is what has to last them the rest of their life. And what I tell them is stop investing like a 30 year old and let's treat this money what it is money that's got to last you and your family for the next 30 years 
give you income you can't outlive, protect it so you can leave the legacy that you want. And then now it doesn't matter what's going on in the stock market. It doesn't matter what's going on there. And that's how we remain diversified. There you go. All right. So listen, we've covered, I'll see, we've covered five different bad money habits here. We're going to finish off with the last one, Mike, before we jump over and take an email as we usually do here on the podcast. And the last one is the idea of I will save myself some money and do it myself, right? The DIY movement. Uh, it's very popular in all walks of life over the last number of years. But avoiding professional advice just because you think it's going to save you money often is not the case. You know, again, it's Totally different when you're accumulating, but the preservation stage, the decumulation stage, which is what obviously working with a retirement professional like yourself does, it gets way more complicated than we realize. There's a lot of moving parts, and one thing affects another, and so on and so forth. No, agreed. And that's how we've built the practice. So in March, we celebrated our 15th year anniversary as a planning firm. You know, mm-hmm. so if we go to our website, you know, we get the 15 year video right on the front and that. Uh, we're so proud and just so honored and humbled by the individuals that have entrusted us over the years, you know, not only working with me for the last 20 plus, but the 15 years to buy into, you know, the values of our firm. And the values of our firm is it's all plan based. It's tax focused and it's plan based. And it always comes down to, you know, anytime there's a discussion of fees and we're reasonable, we're industry average. First $2 million, we charge up to 1%, two to 5 million, it's 0.75 for anything above 2 million. And then over, and then two to 5 million after 5 million, it goes down to half a percent. So it's kind of a graduated scale on the, on the assets and the securities that we do. But what's included with that, and this is where the difference between what does it cost? First, what's the value that I'm receiving for that expense? It comes down to not only do we do a full financial plan for you that we normally charge four to $6,000 for, we also will do the investment management. We will do the tax preparation. We'll do proactive tax planning, which is can we save you potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars of unnecessary taxation by being proactive about our tax strategies. We already talked about long-term care and the healthcare plan. We'll put that together for you. And your estate plan. You know, do you have the right documents in place? We'll, we'll show you what you need. And we work with the legal team in-house as well as the CPA in-house to make sure that all of that gets done for you. And then it comes down to you don't know what you don't know. You know, it's a lot easier for us to save people hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes that are going to impact their legacy, their financial life, everything going forward instead of just worrying about what's the stock market doing today or not. Did you beat the S&P 500 or not? You know, and if it just truly comes down to cost, they don't see value and all those other things we bring to the table. And I said, okay, well, let's just look at this way. Not over any one given year, because of course you can be crazy aggressive and just throw all your money in Tesla. And if Tesla doubles and the S&P 500 doesn't or something, then guess what? Yeah, sure you win. But over <laughs> three, five, 10, 20 years, over, over the lifetime of your retirement, do you think you can? we can do 1% better or not do 1% worse than you would on your own? Taking in the emotional component of it, taking in the knee-jerk reactions, taking in the fact that you might be addicted to stock market, you know, let me be your behavioral counselor on that, taking all of those things that we discussed today into context, even take away the value of the tax side, take away the value of the estate side, the healthcare, all boils down to, could we do potentially with figuring in all those things, 1% better than you or not do 1% worse. It truly comes down to that. Yeah. You know, I love that idea. And especially 
I mean, for me, I would add in that extra layer, Mike, that I also just don't want to spend my time doing that when I'm retired, right? I didn't. I don't want a second career as a financial professional for my own financial advice um, when I get to retirement. So a lot of times having someone to do the heavy lifting for you is, you know, is very powerful. So yeah, we, we get that from some do-it-yourselfers. Now. I mean, really from all, but sure. do-it-yourselfers that have been managing it, have been managing my 401k. I didn't need an advisor all this time. Yeah. But one, one thing they say, okay, I don't know what I didn't know, you know, when we start showing them the taxes and the other stuff. Right. But on the flip side, it's exactly to your point. They say, you know what? I, yeah, I've been doing it. I think I could probably still do a decent job yeah. at it. But now this is my life savings we're talking about. This isn't me just throwing money in my 401k. And, and usually it's a husband and he's looking over at his wife and she's nodding her head. Yes. And then they come back and, he, and he's like, and I want to retire. There's things I want to do. I want to spend time with the grandkids. I want to travel. I want to volunteer. Whatever that happens to be, what's yep. important to them going forward. So then it just truly comes down to, I didn't retire to get to become a financial planner. Yeah. You know, and, and that's where they hand the keys over us and say, hey, drive the car. You know, yeah, I'll be your co-pilot. But, you know, let, let's go down this path together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't need a second job and a second career in retirement. All right, so there's some bad money habits that we were talking about here on the podcast. And uh, certainly we'll wrap up here with an email question, as we usually do. And if you've got questions of your own, make sure you reach out to Mike and his team at crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. You can also find the podcast, Retirement Success Blueprint, on Apple, Google, Spotify, all that good stuff. Uh, find it all right there at his website. A lot of good tools, tips, and resources as well at crystallaketax.com. Dot com. All right, Mike sent a question in, and it's not you. <laughs> Mike, from Mil- <laughs> Mike from Milwaukee sent a question in. He said, uh, hey, Mike, we have over $100,000 in our savings account, and it drives me nuts to see that much money sitting in there doing nada. I want to buy a new truck, but the wife isn't on board with that plan because she says having the money in the bank makes her feel more secure. So how much cash do we need in a situation like this? And how do I convince her that maybe it's too much money just collecting dust? Please tell me I'm not the crazy one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. So there's a couple of things to unpack here. Okay. First, she may not want you to have a pickup truck, right? I mean, that, that, that <laughs> might be, be that, that simple, that, right? That might be the real answer. It might have nothing to do with the money issue. So that you gotta, the two of you have to work through that part first. Uh, secondly, let's just say it truly is, and I see this all the time, it truly is a financial decision. It's a comfort decision for her just to be able to, you know, log in and on the bank account and be like, whew, okay, 100000 still there. We're good in case anything happens. You know, so this is independent of all the other resources that you have because we haven't kind of covered that. Right. Like what it really comes down to is, the two of you just actually need a true financial plan. So we talked about a little bit earlier in the show, but when we talk about a true financial plan, it's going to address the five core areas. It doesn't have anything to do specifically with your investments. That's part of it, but it's only a small part of it. A true financial plan, we call ours our trademark is retirement success blueprint, starts off with one, where's your income coming from in retirement in good markets and bad, because your income in retirement shouldn't be reflected based on what's going on in the market. Are we taking it from interest and dividends alone? Second comes down to how much risk should we take to get that level of income, but have a rising income over time to keep up with inflation. That gives you confidence that you're good today, but you're also good three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now with the same improving lifestyle. Three, tax plan. Can you save money in taxes now, if that makes sense? Or how do you proactively save money over your lifetime in taxes? Four, health care plan. If you or your wife needed long-term care, how would you pay for it? And fifth, do you have the estate plan in place, both when you're living, like power of attorneys, things like that, and when you pass, wills, trusts, transfer on death deeds, those things. Because, Mike, and I'm going to pull back to your question here, that it's just really important to kind of think this way. 
If you have those five things in place, the decisions that you and your wife make and your pickup truck sitting in your driveway soon is going to be is that now we understand why we're making the decisions that we are. We now know when we can spend, what we can spend it on, how much we can spend, what the tax impact is going to be, and understand that it's not going to impact your financial future. And I tell you that the process starts with it. So Mike here, you're talking about 100000 but let's say all together you got $500,000. I'm just throwing some random number out there so we can put this in perspective. Okay, we got 500000 400000 saved for retirement. We got 100000 in the bank. Mike, how much should I keep in the bank? That's you asking me the question, not me asking you. And I will say, let's start off with first, and I'll look at your wife first and say, What's your sleep at night number? And sleep at night number means how much cash do I need to have in the bank that I could go get immediately, you know, not have to sell investments or anything else. How much cash do I need so that I can just sleep at night? I don't care what the interest rate is. Now, for some people, it's 20, 25,000. For some people, it's 100,000. I don't argue with that number. That's your sleep at night number. Then we say, okay, do we have any big expenses coming up over the next 12 months? Great. Add that to the sleep at night number. We don't want any risk attached to that. Then we can say, okay, with what's left, can we buy a pickup truck? Should we add more to our retirement savings? Should we invest it? Should we pay off debts, pay off the mortgage, whatever it is? That's how you approach that, Mike. So it's very kind of deliberate. You know why you're spending things, but it always begins with a plan. Uh, So Mike, if you need some help with that, we're more than happy to kind of walk down that path with you. All right. Great question. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And everybody that's out there listening to the podcast, we always appreciate your time. And of course, uh, consider subscribing if you'd like to uh, the content, catch new, new episodes as they come out, as well as check out past episodes. Again, find it all at crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. Or you can find Retirement Success Blueprint on Apple, Google, and Spotify. All right, Mike, thanks for, so much for hanging out, my friend. I appreciate you and uh, look forward to talking to you. We'll be back in July with uh, new episodes. Take care, Mark. Yep. We'll see you next time right here on Retirement Success Blueprint with Michael Stewart, founder at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC, are not associated entities. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial is a franchise of the Retirement Income Store. The Retirement Income Store and Sound Income Strategies, LLC, are associated entities.